0: Kristen, here it is, early January.
1: Woohoo! You know what we call that in the movie industry? Tell me. The greatest time of year.
0: <laughs> That's what you call it. No, nobody the, else calls it that. It's the
1: greatest time of year for the awards shows, but if you actually yeah. want to go to the movie house,
0: it's the doldrums. I think
1: it can be pretty awful. You
0: know, when you're it's out, punishing. you're out in the ocean, and everything's just glass—that glassy surface. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. Nothing's happening. <laughs> That's what January is for the movie industry. Uh, to prove it. I'll just tell you what we got coming up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just get it out of the way. That's our review show, folks.
0: This week's that's only it. wide release, only real wide release, Taken 3. Is it? Nobody else wanted to program anything. They were, they were, they were so afraid that Taken 3 would just dominate
1: <laughs> January 9th. We cannot compete with that.
0: Taken 3 owns January 9th. There's nothing else to, to release. But there is also an expansion, um, a, lim- a film that came out in limited release uh, late in the year, and that's expanding wide now. That people might be interested in, Inherent Vice, the first ever film adaptation of a Thomas Pynchon novel.
1: And directed by P.T. Anderson, who has so many fans out there.
0: Right, with Joaquin Phoenix. So that might be a more interesting thing to talk about. We'll talk about both of those and... Our sweatpants pick this week, Mozart in the Jungle, a new series on Amazon Prime. But
1: before we do all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway.
0: And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Date. Brr, Kristen. Brr, January. So
1: chilly. Should we go to the movie theater? (laughs) Should we go to see Taken 3?
0: Oh, well... In case you're wondering, folks, whether you should see Taken 3, in case you saw Taken and Taken 2, <laughs> and now you're trying to figure out: hmm, hmm.
1: Do I need more Brian Mills? <laughs> Do, Do I, I, need- I need that
0: particular set of skills? <laughs> Do I have to listen to him very carefully? <laughs> Of course, everyone knows the history of Liam Neeson as Brian Mills, ex-CIA. Is he CIA or is he something less kind of murky? I think he's a lot
1: of things. They they start naming off his resume in this movie at a certain point.
0: Special Forces. This guy's a ghost, says Forrest Whitaker, (laughs) as the cop. In this film, uh, Brian Mills, the loving father of Kim, played by Maggie Grace, and the still loving ex-husband of Lenny, played by Famke Jansen. He is... uh, He is coming home one day and discovers that his ex-wife has been killed. And it looks like someone has set him up to take the fall. Here's a clip.
2: So far, police have not told us what happened inside the apartment where earlier this morning, a woman's body was discovered. Brian Mills is the owner of the apartment and the ex-husband of the deceased. Who's this? It's me. You're on the news. I didn't do it, Sam. Obviously, you didn't do it. Are you alright? I'm going down the rabbit hole. The code's still the same. Yeah, yeah, it's still the same. I'll be untouched. Be careful.
1: Now, first and foremost, I I feel like we have an obligation to just let the listeners know. Nobody is taken in this movie. No, you, you know what? That's a really good point. You know, why is this called taken three? It should have been falsely accused one. <laughs> or something something like that. Right? Right?
0: Yeah, presumed on, innocent that's been taken. I
1: kept on waiting for someone to be taken. But well,
0: I guess technic- no, technically I think you could say in in a, in briefly a couple of people are taken.
1: Not really. No, I
0: know. I know I know what you're saying. In the past few, in the past couple of films, of course, it's been uh, Kim, the daughter, who's, been, who's being taken, right? Uh, or his ex-wife. Or, am sorry, or his ex-wife, as, the, as in the first one, but right. But they
1: ran out of women to take. So they're like, oh, who do you take now? Well,
0: I think one of the problems, uh, this is written by uh, Luc Besson and uh, Robert Mark Kamen, one of his longtime collaborators who goes all the way back to The Fifth Element and um, Transporter and then all the way up through like Transporter 5 and 6 uh, and all the Taken movies as well. Uh, I think here the problem with the Taken series is that if if Kim, the daughter, had been taken again um, – you would start to think, like, you've really had the great misfortune of being the daughter of Brian Mills. I this mean, is like, a
1: really messed up family I'm to be start, a part of. I,
0: you, you would start, I think, to start to place some blame <laughs> on, on Brian Mills. And you don't want that because he's got to be the good guy. Um, and so here what you have is some kind of murder. It's a frame-up. You don't really know what's happening. Is Does this have anything to do with Brian Mills and his shady, violent past? Or is it something – is he more being dropped into a crime that – comes out of nowhere and he's got to solve it. And as we said, Forrest Whitaker plays the Los Angeles cop who's trying to bring Brian Mills in, but might also have some inkling that maybe Brian Mills is innocent. It's hard to say. How'd you like Forrest Whitaker in this role?
1: You know, Forrest Whitaker eats bagels.
0: Yeah, he does in this in this movie. And
1: then he looks off into space a lot while eating
0: bagels. He's got Forrest Whitaker is uh, has, I think, fallen into the classic actor's trap of having too many ticks. He's got <laughs> he's got a, he's eating the bagels. And he's got the rubber band on his wrist, and he's snapping it because he's that kind of tense cop. He's that
2: guy. But he's, he's also got the loud. little
0: the little chess piece that he. Does, that, kind of like, after a while, I'm kind of like, you got to decide on one tick. You got to you, you can't be a cop with seven or eight different ticks. You got to decide on one. Is it The rubber band is it the bagels or is it the chess piece? Uh, but he gets all three in this one.
1: But you know what? You know Forrest Whitaker's fine. He is what he is. Sure. My my bigger issue is. Brian Mills, in this particular movie, does not have a particular set of skills. You
0: know what? You're right.
1: And, you know, I already complained about the fact that no one's taken. Now I'm complaining about the particular set of skills. There is a little bit of listening to him very carefully. People do listen to him very carefully. They do listen to him very carefully. But that's the only Brian Mills aspect that remains is listen to me very carefully. I want there to be a particular set of skills. Remember in Taken 2, which is not a good movie, but I still enjoyed. Sure. I still totally enjoyed it. He is blindfolded at one point in the back of a car in Turkey, and he can... Measure where yes. he is on the city map because of how sound travels. That's correct.
0: He's he's counting in his head, clicking off the uh, the seconds as sound is traveling. Remember also, there's the great scene where um is it I think it is it does he t- does he do it or does he tell Kim to do it? Someone is lobbing grenades off the top yes, of rooftops yes, yes. in Turkey. Um, so there's there's that great one. Um, he's
1: got a particular set of skills, right, and right. you're just like, wow, the way your brain works, man. You're incredible. You're not just a violent assassin. Right. You're also able to just uh, deconstruct any situation down to a cosmic mathematical level, and it's amazing. In this movie, none of that.
0: Well, he what he what he has here is a particular set of friends. He's got a bunch of old friends <laughs> from his friends from his operative who days. Who plays golf with? Right. And they're all like seventy, <laughs> that's, and that's fine. I, I have to say, for some strange reason, when they when they opened up that scene there's just a brief little scene to show that Brian Mills has you know all his kind of operative friends or you know still part of his social circle and they're all playing golf and i just thought you know that makes sense for for Liam Neeson given his age but i don't want to see Liam Neeson playing golf i would i would have much rather seen him playing like pick up basketball on a street corner, doing something to show me that he's still a young, youngish, vibrant, vibrant yeah. active guy. And this made him look in those damn golf pants, the khakis. <laughs> it made him look that old. jaunty cap. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> mm, that's a mistake because, you know, you Liam Neeson's getting to a certain age and I don't think you want to reinforce that image. So anyway, I will also say my other my other objection to this film, aside from it being... Slow and thinly plotted, and not having a lot going on. It's a really, it's a cast of really unattractive characters played by, I hate to say it, some really unattractive actors. I know that's bad to say, but they're they're got to a point. I, I, and I don't consider myself a a shallow movie goer like this, but they're got to a point where I kind of thought, could I look at someone who doesn't look like their face has just been ravaged by. birth defects and time. Oh I mean, it's just, I, there just came a point where I kind of thought, God, everyone in this movie is really ugly. Why is that? Oh my
1: God, Rafer. I'm sorry
0: to say that. Just It's oh a my really God. unattractive cast of actors.
1: Okay, so... This is a bad date.
0: <laughs> I Well, if you can't tell, listeners, I would say Taken 3 is a pretty bad date. And I love the first Taken so much. The first Taken is so good.
1: The second Taken even, which you didn't really like, Rafer, no, I still enjoyed tolerable, it.
0: Tolerable at least.
1: But yeah, Taken 3, uh, take it away. No more sequels to this, please. I and think, this franchise now. End I think it.
0: this has got to be the dying, the dying breath of the Taken franchise, yeah.
1: Shall we move on to something that um, has maybe some more potential people are more excited about, I think, in a way?
0: Let's move on to Inherent Vice. Uh, As we were saying, this is the first adaptation of a Thomas Pynchon novel.
1: Now, Reefer, are you a Pynchon fan?
0: Um, I am not. No. Neither am I. So we should just
1: let listeners know. Full disclosure, neither of us Pynchon fans.
0: Okay. uh, But he is a... A writer with it's hard to say whether he's 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 a super famous writer yet somehow I always want to say that he's got a cult following. I agree. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. it, but I don't think that necessarily makes sense. Everybody
1: I... <laughs> knows who he is, but only a small number of people read and enjoy him. Is I that think, what, is what, it is? what it comes down to?
0: He's yeah. you know I think he is a, a uh, maybe an acquired taste. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, and if anyone out there is a literary uh, critic or a critical theorist, and if you want to tell me I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I'm going to call him a postmodernist. Do you think that's fair?
1: It sounds right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Hold on. don't we
1: both have like MFAs and we should know this in fiction writing, right? I have, a ma-
0: I have a master's in science in journalism. Oh, that's what I have. I have
1: an MFA in fiction. Well, writing. you should know. F- forget it. Let's not name off well, my resume I mean, here. Let's, high let's modernist
0: or post modernist. I don't know, but I would call him a post modernist. You know, he's, and it's, you know, I find his novels to mostly be ideas. And uh, uh, cultural mashups, high and low, right? Comics and and classical music and art and you know whatnot. Um, that's kind of his shtick. Uh, in this movie, uh, Inherent Vice is uh, an L.A. noir. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays Doc Sportello. He's a rumpled. Pot-smoking hippie with mutton chops and a denim shirt. He's also a private investigator. And uh, at his door one morning shows up a girl, as they always do, no matter what era we're talking about. This is 1970. Um, She shows up, hippie chick named Shasta Faye Hepworth, played by Katherine Waterston. She's in trouble, and she wants him to take a case. Here's a clip.
2: If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin, maybe you should just look
1: the other way. You just explained that really well, but I have to say when I was watching it, I thought, what is going on here? Mm. From the first few minutes until the very end, the whole time I was thinking, what is going on here? Really? I didn't know what was happening. I felt like somebody put some drugs in my Kool-Aid. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the point. I didn't know I was at this party. I didn't know it was that kind of party. (laughs)
0: How did I get here? How
1: did I get here? (laughs) What's going on? Who are you people? This is a cast of wacky, wacky stock characters. None of them are actually human or fully developed. It's just like, look, it's Martin Short, and I'm a crazy dentist. And look, I'm I'm Reese Witherspoon. I'm a DA. Look, I'm a really bubbly prostitute who likes to do this in front of you if you want to
0: you know, I'm just, That's Hong Chao playing Jade, the uh, sort of – I don't know if she's – She was adorable. She's really actually kind of appealing. I she thought was she was super, really fun. <laughs> she
1: was really fun and appealing. But do you know what I'm saying about none of them are actually like fully formed humans in any way?
0: And let's list off a couple more I think because I think what you've got here is this, uh, this uh, panoply of characters, each of which is representing something. So you've got – uh, Coy, played by Owen Wilson, who is a radical lefty, possibly turned government informant. Then you've got uh, Martin Short, as you were saying, the co- the coke snorting dentist who is maybe representing the seedy underbelly of the establishment, right? Who thinks that their dentist is snorting snorting coke? Then, um, and I think the most the most trenchant or the most obvious. Symbol in this movie is Josh Brolin as Bigfoot. He's this flat topped, burly, angry, square cock of
1: another generation. Of another
0: generation who hates hippies. He's always making hippie and pot jokes at at, at Doc Sportello, um, kicking at his door and coming in and shaking him down. So I I I think though, Kristen, you're getting at a, a really important point, which is that these characters are all they're not people. They're kind of like symbols, or they're like or they're like. Ideas, or even references, or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pan out. It doesn't make any sense. It's a noir, and that's okay. Noirs don't always make sense, and that's part of the joke. They
1: make some sense. They make some sense. A little bit of
0: sense. Well, and you know, I was thinking one of the problems in this movie is, it's one of the problems in this movie is it it doesn't make any sense. And I think because that's that's kind of a, a a joke to all those kind of Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler stories that are just wildly complicated that don't actually add up. But there's always something in those old noirs that 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 you leave with, right? The Falcon in Maltese Falcon, like you can take the Maltese Falcon home. You know, you get that the hollow Falcon that proved to be nothing in the end, or you know, uh, the ending um, of let's say. Out of the Past, where Robert Mitchum has to make this great sacrifice for his his girl. And that's, that's a powerful moment, even if the rest of it doesn't make any sense. And there's no payoff in this movie. Where's the, where's the payoff? What am I taking home with me at the end?
1: Frustration. Frustration. Anger.
0: Irritation. And the jokes are not, not funny. Not
1: even a little bit funny. It's and you all... know what it reminded me of, Rafer? and what? I was wondering if you were thinking the same thing. Now, neither you nor I like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas.
0: It's very – well, yes. You I'm and glad I, you brought that up. You and
1: I are not fans of that film, and I was thinking about that film while watching this one, and I thought those are the people who might like this one.
0: It, this movie, because it takes place – because it's sort of on this counterculture, you know, because it, because it's about the 60s, and it's, it's all about paranoia. You know, it's about a counterculture, and the paranoia is clearly a symptom of both – activism and drug use, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you engage in those two things, you're going to get paranoid. And and it made me think of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It made me think of uh, Naked Lunch. It made me think a lot of Philip K. Dick's books, which I think also get at that heart of like that creepy, creepy paranoia that, that you're trapped in some kind of reality that's not real and it's coming to get you. But I think all those movies, even Fear and Loathing, did it better than this one. And and I one of the problems is as things were going on in this movie, A, I didn't care about the characters and B, I, I didn't get the joke. I have to say overall, I thought Inherent Vice, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I thought Inherent Vice was a pretty bad date. Oh, I thought Inherent Vice was a horrible date. Horrible?
1: Not, not pretty bad, horrible. I wouldn't and
0: say horrible, the, but okay. The awesome
1: costumes and aesthetics were not enough to make up for... Everything else being horrible. It's
0: very jokey. It's very oh, jokey. God. All the all the, co- you know, the cans of Burgermeister beer. Yeah. yeah, all of it. Yeah. It
1: looks great, but it's horrible and torturous to sit through. Torturous, torturous date. This is the kind of date where I'm going to get up and say I'm going to the bathroom, but I'm not actually coming back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, it's January, man. What do you, what do you want? Do you...
1: We want sweatpants. Sweat That's what pants. we want. So you know what, folks? After the break. We are going to have a sweatpants pick for you that we actually really like this week. We're going to be talking with an expert who's going to help us with this particular sweatpants pick. Plus, we're going to have a little bit of listener mail and, as always, trivia. Stay with us. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And you know what you can always do, because we love it when you do it? You can friend us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can message us while you're there. You can look at wacky pictures of me and Rafer being a little bit drunk at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards a few days ago. Just a little. Just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Our longtime listener, Ken, actually wrote in seeing that picture of us a little bit tipsy, asking, Rafer, are you a martini
0: man? <laughs> Can am I ever.
1: Boy, are you
0: Rachel. To my detriment.
1: (laughs) You know, this picture that's up on the Facebook page right now, we look completely out of our minds drunk in this picture. And I want you to know that's the most sober picture I could find in my phone.
0: I just want to tell a little story. I went up and had a conversation with uh, the great German director Volker Schlondorf, uh, who was there. And then I found out uh, the next day that it actually was not Volker Schlondorf. (laughs) It was Paul Schrader. (laughs) Ha, ha. That's how much of a martini man I am.
1: Oh, yes, you are, Rafer. Okay, so
0: (laughs) with that out of the way, let's move on to sweatpants.
2: You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Never mind the Queen of England. I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room.
0: So our sweatpants pick this week is Mozart in the Jungle. It's a new series on Amazon Prime. One of their one of their early forays into the streaming streaming yeah. television.
1: Yeah, we we had Transparent earlier. Yes. And, uh, this has been getting a
0: lot of buzz. It's uh all takes place in the classical world music in New York. It stars uh, Gael Garcia Bernal mm, as a yum. maverick conductor <laughs> taking over the New York Symphony, I think it's called. Not the New York Philharmonic, the New York Symphony. He's taking it over from Malcolm McDowell. He's the outgoing, fusty old maestro. It stars Saffron Burroughs as a cellist and Lola Kirk as a young oboist. And it is based on the book of the same name, Mozart in the Jungle by Blair Tyndall, who was an oboist, freelance oboist, here in New York City's classical music world. And I guess the the selling point of this series is that it is... Showing us the seedy, sexy underbelly <laughs> of the classical Sex and music. Sex
1: drugs and classical
2: music, <laughs> right. all that stuff.
0: Hence the title. Here's a clip.
2: He has been courted by Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Munich, and we got him please join me in welcoming a man who need only be introduced by his first name, your new conductor and musical director ah. Rodrigo uh, uh.
1: now I just have to say Rafer yes I got sucked into the series and watched. Seven episodes in one night. Okay,
0: I have not watched that many.
1: And, but okay, and I was very fortunate to interview Gael Garcia Bernal and Bernadette Peters, who um, stars as the Symphony's board chair. On this yes, series. the audio came out really bad. I don't think we were going to play it on the podcast. You are not
0: going to play Bernadette Peters or which which one? Gael
1: Garcia Bernal. The audio just turned out really bad. Oh wow, that's too bad. But but we have something so much better. We have somebody from inside the classical music. World with us today.
0: Yes, we have Naomi Lewin. She's the afternoon host on WQXR and she's also the host of their podcast, Conducting Business. Uh, she's going to help us sort fact from fiction, maybe help us figure out who's who in this sort of Romana clef that we've got going here. <laughs> Naomi, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. So, all right, my first question Gail Garcia Bernal's character is this based on someone in particular? Is it a composite? Who is this guy? He's based on
3: a real conductor whose name is Gustavo Dudamel, this hotshot young conductor, sometimes known as The Dude. Oh, great. Uh, He's a charismatic conductor from Venezuela who's a product Mm -hmm. of El Sistema, which is their big music system there. And he got snapped up at the age of 26 to be music director of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He also has great hair, but not probably the same love life.
0: Oh. I, oh, that's too bad.
1: Well, I'm curious about the love life, or shall we call it sex life, in this series. There's a lot of, you know, racy stuff going on. People sleeping with each other. There's also drugs being taken, uh, partly for uh, physical injuries from being a musician and part recreational. So the drugs and the sex, how, how much of that is true?
3: In the music world, well, you know what? Musicians are human beings. They're just like everybody else. Some of them take drugs, and I would say that most of them have sex.
0: But I think the thing in this, in this series is that what they're trying to show us is, is, is that it's almost like <clears throat> backstage with the stones. Is it, is, it quite as, is it quite as debauched as this series is making it out to be?
3: I would say no, it is not quite as debauched as that. <laughs> Musicians do take some drugs that other people don't take. They take beta blockers, that kind of drugs, for performance anxiety. Not all of them, but some of them do. And there may be possibly some abuse of that. I know they're passed around backstage at orchestras, in some orchestras, because you have to go out there and you have to play a solo and it has to be right and you have to nail it. And for some people, this is a very anxiety-producing moment. And
0: but you, you, don't, you don't have the rock doc who's coming backstage and uh, giving you a quick <laughs> injection of cortisone in the neck to fix your, you know, whatever your injury?
3: I have personally never been backstage at a symphony concert where that has happened, so I can't speak to that, but I'm guessing probably not. Okay. <laughs> and when it comes to the sex part, you know, musicians are no different from any other close-knit group, and when they have common interests, they associate with each other. As one recovering orchestra musician I know said, it's the same thing that might happen between lawyers. You speak a common language, you hang out together. Stuff happens. You keep the
0: same hours. It's late at night. It's what, like the, it's like the restaurant industry. I was what gonna are you going to do?
1: Like, like the three of us before the mics even were turned on, we That's were just right. going at it like rabbits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Up early.
3: Speak for yourself. I'm a classical music host. I have a
0: reputation sorry. Oh, to make. Sorry, oh, yeah, that sorry, totally not sorry.
1: sorry, Naomi. Yeah, none of that.
0: <laughs> and how, and how about the, uh, you know this this star is one of my favorite favorite actors of all time, Malcolm McDowell. I'm a huge Malcolm McDowell fan, and he's he's been relegated recently to the these kinds of villain characters. When you see him now, he's always playing one of these older, older sinister types. Uh, he's the outgoing maestro. He's the, he's the old guard who's being replaced by, by uh, Gal Garcia Bernal. There's a, uh, a nice scene where... Um, they're all backstage and uh, Bernal is uh, uh, lifting his champagne glass and uh, he's wearing this kind of kooky outfit of some sort, this kind of quasi-military stylish outfit. And Malcolm McDowell says, hold on just a minute there, Sergeant Pepper. And, <laughs> and I love Malcolm McDowell. And, and is, is he playing uh, again? Is there a real-life analog to him? I
3: would say he is not modeled on one conductor in particular at least not that I could put my finger on.
0: He's just sort of uh he's just a sort of a stand-in for the 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 older the older more formal conductors who are, do you think maybe are well, being pushed out of the scene?
3: That said, you know, it seems like old conductors never retire. They just right. keep on conducting. They're really sort of considered like fine wine. You think of people... I mean, just this last year, we lost Rafael Frubeck de Burgos, who was a revered conductor, who conducted almost up until the month he died. These people, they just keep on going. It's their lifeblood. And many people feel that they just get better with age. I sang in a choir when I was very young that Stokowski was conducting... And he was over 90. And you know, when he got on the podium, he shuffled up to the podium.
1: But when he got on the podium, the music was there. Oh, wow. So a lot of this stuff seems kind of inspired by real stuff. But are there any glaring inaccuracies that you're seeing in this, Naomi? I have to say, as a musician,
3: there were a fair number of scenes that kind of made me roll my eyes. For instance... Programming is done years in advance, so when the Bernal character decides on a whim that he's going to program Mahler's 8th Symphony to give the main character, Oboist, right. a shot, Mahler's Symphony Mahler's 8th calls for a huge orchestra, two choruses, and a children's choir, and eight vocal soloists. <laughs> it is called the Symphony of a Thousand for a reason, because that's how many people it looks like on stage, so... It's just not the kind of piece that you say, Oh, I think we'll rehearse that tomorrow.
0: To Get give... me a thousand people. Right.
3: <laughs> and also, when Rodrigo drags the entire orchestra off to an empty lot to rehearse, that could never happen. Not just because the union would not let it happen, but because the musicians <laughs> would go, No, 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 I'm not taking my instrument out into the cold like that or whatever. They showed all those expensive instruments that had supposedly been schlepped through a hole in a chain-link fence. And I thought, how did they get those double basses in there? How did they get those (laughs) kettle drums in there? You know, just, just not happening. Also, a former oboist I know said that having the oboe teacher lace the main character into a corset and stick her hands in ice water was just totally off the charts
0: crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to have some entertainment. Yeah. you got to have some entertainment in this yeah. stuff. Um, you know, how has this been received in the classical music world? Are people tickled? Are they rolling their eyes? Are they thrilled to see that, you know, the, the real story is finally being told? That the saran rap is being ripped off the, <laughs> the well, scene?
3: I have to say, as a musician, and I spent some time in the music world, I was an opera singer wannabe at one point, I was thrilled that they had created a series that starred classical musicians and about that world. Really thrilled. And after I went to the premiere, I was very excited. They showed the pilot in the first episode. And I have to say, I also love that there is a lot of classical music in the soundtrack. They've really woven that in there, as well as other music, all kinds of music. So that's really cool. That said, I wish I loved this show more than I do.
0: Ah, what don't you like about it or what what bothers you?
3: I think... It's interesting that the critics who like it are by and large not the classical musicians, and I think it might be just that as a classical musician you have that problem suspending your disbelief when it comes to some of these things that you know, you're know you just always looking at and going, well, no, that wouldn't happen. The one critic who really didn't like it the most was Anne Majet, who is the classical music critic for The Washington Post, who could not get beyond a lot of this stuff. I think the acting... Is very good, but I just setting even aside the classical music uh, things that don't quite jibe. I didn't find the show compelling enough to want to keep watching it. Ah,
0: okay. Well, that's now that's interesting. That's so fairly it's, damning. It's our sweatpants pick for the week,
1: but we're not classical people, <laughs> that's
0: Rafer. Completely true.
1: But maybe our listeners who are more like Naomi, you know. I
3: have to say. The one thing I really loved the most was the little dig at us audio folks. Oh. Jason Schwartzman, who is one of the creators of the show, oh, playing yes. the totally
1: nerdy podcaster.
0: Yes. I loved that.
1: <laughs> that was great. Jason Schwartzman's been just killing it lately. Yeah, he's on fire. He's every, just everywhere. Every time he yeah. shows up somewhere, he's just killing it. He's so good.
0: So, But you liked it, Kristen.
1: I liked it. I got totally sucked in, and I really wasn't expecting to, but i was I was totally in it. How about you rafer
0: yeah i like, I liked it as well and i I can see even not uh, knowing much uh, let me rephrase that not knowing anything about classical music. <laughs> I can see where there are, are moments where I feel like they 're trying a little too hard they 're trying to maybe youth it up and sex it up a little bit too much. You know, the the that initial, uh, in the pilot, that initial party scene, you know, mm. hey, everybody, come on in, let's do shots and play our <laughs> classical instruments. I thought, okay, that seems a little corny <laughs> to me. But um, I think that's cool. You know, Paul Weitz is one of the creators and directors. He did About a Boy, right? I um, love About
1: a Boy. Yeah, and, Not you know, the
0: TV series. No, not, not the TV series, the actual film. And I think he brings a kind of a youthful energy to it, and so I enjoyed it, and I thought it was actually a lot of fun. So you know, I, I liked it. But again, you know, I remember back in the '80s, I would see punk rock movies, I'd get very upset. I'd be very upset that I, nobody would wear that jacket. Nobody <laughs> ever wear that jacket anywhere. Um, so I can see that. But um, but anyway, I liked it. So but split decision from the from from us because we have got a person on the inside who was not mm-hmm. that pleased.
1: Well, it was so great having you here today, Naomi. Thanks for bringing your expertise, all your inside baseball, the secrets of the dirty underbelly of the classical music world. My pleasure. Anytime.
0: We've been talking to Naomi Lewin. She's the afternoon host of New York's classical music station, WQXR. It's recently celebrated its 75th anniversary on the air, and she's the host of their podcast, Conducting Business.
1: Should we move on to a little bit of listener mail? Let's do it. We've been getting a lot of listener mail. I um, love listener mail, even, love when,
0: even when people are mad or they're telling me I'm wrong. All right, so we've
1: been getting a lot of letters about bed bugs.
0: Oh, I'm not surprised.
1: You know, Glenn wants to know has the bed bug crisis been resolved, Kristen? I keep imagining going through that. What an experience, especially being barred from work. So a few podcasts back, we had a really crappy, sound-quality podcast um, out of an abandoned room in your office building, Rafer, uh, because I wasn't allowed in my own office building because (laughs) I was quarantined while they were trying to figure out what to do with these bed bugs that I contracted while I was in a screening for our podcast. (laughs) And so I want everyone to know, you know what? Things are so much better. I I now have a bed because I had to throw out my bed and my couch And so, yes, I have a bed now. I do not have a couch yet,
0: but, you know. I I wrapped Kristen in plastic and left her there for four days. (laughs) And at the end, I unwrapped her, and she was bed bug free.
1: (laughs) Lots of you, by the way. Thank you. Everybody who wrote and called in with concerns about the bed bugs, thank you. So sweet of you. Very nice. It really made me feel better that I wasn't suffering through it alone. So thank you for that. And let's move on to some listener mail that has to do with art. Top 10 lists of the year. Last week's podcast, you and I each brought our top 10 lists of the best movies of the year, in our opinions. A lot of people said, great lists. We appreciate that. You need to type out that list on your website, which I'm going to do today, because okay. people need to read those lists. More than a few people have said, we just want it in front of us so we can read the list. Um, but then, of course, sometimes people disagree with us, Rafer. No kidding. Go figure. So one of the letters of disagreement, Glenn from Glen Allen, Virginia, says, Hello, I normally don't write letters, but when you put boyhood at number one on your lists. I had to send in my comment. I could not understand how both of you had it at number one. After listening more, I realized why the both of you liked it so much. It is because you are young. I am 50 (laughs) years old with three kids, one of which is in his second year of college. I have lived through this movie and seen it all, but made better choices. This story is so commonplace that it is boring. The task of filming it over 12 years is not that interesting, not enough to make it engaging. So my opinion is if the Oscar voters are not old enough to have a boy, then they will vote for it. Otherwise, they will.
0: I'll be darned. Been wow. there, done that, says Glenn. Wow.
1: Thanks for the great letter, Glenn. We love the passion in your letter. Can I just point out, though, we're not that much younger than Glenn. We're really not we? that. <laughs> and, I, and I have two kids. I'm not that much younger. You have two boys. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, all right. We love that letter from Glenn. We also had more than one person Writing in a little bit upset about an exclusion, Peter is one of them saying, I enjoyed your top 10 best, but how in the world did you admit Grand Budapest Hotel? Peter, you're not the only one who wrote in saying that, who was upset
0: about that. So, you know, do we want to respond? Well, you know, what can I say? I I like Wes Anderson. I I love Wes Anderson. I'm getting a little tired of... The Wes Anderson movie. I feel like it's becoming kind of the same movie.
1: Adorable little set pieces being moved around perfectly. I very, very, very precisely set yes. up and designed.
0: I lo- I love it. I love it. It's a very singular vision. It's a very singular, distinctive thing he does. Um, you know, and I don't want to sniff at it. I don't want to belittle that. Um, I would like to see him do something a little different uh, or do something newer or interesting within this genre this one-man genre that he's created um that's that's all i can say but there's a lot of love for that movie um you know the new york film critics circle of which i'm a member uh, voted it uh, best screenplay which really surprised me so there's a lot of support for that film for sure
1: so yeah so peter in connecticut you're not alone a lot of people like you wanted that movie on our list and we're sorry we couldn't include it and i will say this though It is the Wes Anderson movie I've liked best in recent years. Yeah, for sure. So all that being said, I I still really like the movie. Now, we want to remind listeners, anytime you want to call, if you want to yell at us, disagree with us, tell us how awesome we are, tell us how horrible we are, give us a call at 5717movies. And you can also use that number to call with your trivia answers. What did we ask last week for our trivia,
0: Rafer? On the last podcast, we were talking about New Year's. we uh, we just gotten through with New Year's Eve, and we were looking for movies that had something important, something pivotal, a good, crucial moment that took place on New Year's Eve. We played this clip. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes, and I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. And we asked you to name that movie, and we got the right answer.
2: Hey, Rafer and Kristen. Happy New Year. This is Rembert. I'm calling from Brooklyn. I'm originally from Dallas. In case anyone thinks they know me. You do. Hi. Anyway, I'm calling about trivia because I want to say that um, before you even... Made the clips i knew what movie you were going to play when harry met Sally, which is an awesome movie even though it's totally cornball and meg ryan has the worst fake crying and also that movie made me break up with my boyfriend because when you realize you don't want to spend the rest of your life with someone you also want them not rest of your life to start right away anyway you know what Um, I wanted to tell you guys that it's also our anniversary because I started listening to you guys over the holidays last year when I was driving from Joshua Tree to San Diego with my sister. Anyway, I love your show, and
1: Happy New Year! Oh, my gosh. Rembert? I hope we I hope we have your name right, Rembert.
0: I hope that's... I think that's right. Rembert, uh, great story. That's the power of cinema right there. I love there.
1: that. Made you love break up that. with your boyfriend. So, I just love that so much. It's great. And, <laughs> and happy anniversary to you. We yeah. are so glad that you've been spending a year with us. Yeah, thank you. Many more years, hopefully. More anniversaries. I hope so. Keep so. those
0: card and letter coming.
1: <laughs> so for this week's trivia question, in honor of classical music, we... You know, we're talking a little bit earlier during our sweatpants pick about Mozart in the Jungle and the unsavory underbelly of the classical music world. And there are movies that have done this as well. Look at this uh, sadder side of classical music. We're going to play a clip from one of those movies.
2: Rachmaninoff,
1: are you sure? Uh, kind of. I'm, I'm. I'm never really sure about anything, Mr. Parks.
2: Rach three. It's monumental. It's a mountain. It's the hardest place you could ever play. Well, no one's ever been mad enough to attempt the Rack 3. Am I mad enough, Professor? Am I?
1: If you know the name of that movie, that movie with classical music and maybe not everything so happy and pretty in this movie, give us a call at 5717movies.
0: Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash podcast.
2: Fingers each. Performing's a risk, you know. No safety net. Make no mistake, David. It's dangerous. People get hurt.